You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, finally back in Los Angeles from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I just heard there was going to be a meeting of superstar-level players and, and personages here in L.A., and I thought, you know, I might as well have to show up. Of course, I'm referring to the Los Angeles Clippers about to take over the entire basketball world as we saw with their day one press conference. I'm sure you're all in on the Clippers and can't wait to get uh, in on the excitement. But before we talk about that, I have okay. one question for you. If you had $50 billion, what would you do? Like, what, what would be your priorities in life? Because for Steve Ballmer, it's about winning titles. It's about screeching like a child in public it is about just <laughs> taking the positivity that he has deep within his soul and letting it out for everyone uh, to see. You know, judgments be damned. You know, he does not care yeah. at all what you think. And it's a pretty powerful life philosophy. It's amazing how when you're sort of sucked into that orbit, it almost seems cool in a way. Like, I went back and watched the video clips of his performance at the press conference. And boy, it did not seem cool at all. But when you're in the building and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are just kind of chuckling along at, oh, there's crazy Uncle Steve, it kind of yeah. seems like it, it works. So I guess my first question to you is, what would you do if you had Steve Ballmer money? And second of all, uh, are you willing at all to be sucked into the Steve Ballmer vortex? Or are you just on the outside hating? Well, okay, so first of all, to the first half of your question, this is a bit of a wake-up call because my first answer to what I would do with $50 billion is buy an NBA team, and I feel like I should have a better answer than that. I, I need to broaden my horizons beyond just basketball. No way. But... Priorities. Priorities. That sounds great. Good answer. <laughs> I mean, if you had so yeah. something else completely uh, you know, unrelated, I would have been concerned given how much time you invest in this. Yeah, I would definitely move beyond owning an NBA team to, you know, charitable giving and some, some oh, creative philanthropy you don't, you don't for the rest of my anybody. life. Come on, Andrew. You don't have yeah, to do this just for the it likes. It would Come on. definitely start with buying the Washington Wizards uh, and writing a gigantic check to Ted Leonsis, our favorite. But beyond that, um, as far as Balmer's shtick, I'm with you. I think he does... $50 billion right, and he doesn't have an ounce of shame, nor should he. It is very difficult to emulate. Like, you're saying this is a lesson that we should all internalize from Steve Ballmer. If we were to act like Steve Ballmer, we would not be taken seriously. Like, you saw Paul George and Kawhi Leonard kind of laughing along. That's because he's the guy who writes their checks, and he just wrote them, like, a check for combined $200 million dollars. So they're willing to indulge some of the weirdness from uh, from Balmer, but I don't think you or I could get away with it. I mean, there should be an experiment here. We should get a reporter who does a Steve Ballmer impersonation while asking Steve Ballmer a question and see if it becomes a real recognized real moment. 
Or does Balmer <laughs> does Balmer get competitive and decide he has to crank it up another notch? And get he, even weirder? Yeah, yeah. We'll never know. No, look, I'm just saying we should channel the positivity in life like he clearly does. I'm not advocating for everybody to go out there and absolutely lose their minds, pound their chests in public, and make everybody kind of look sideways like, hey, is he okay? I mean, you know, that there is a, a line to be drawn there. But I'm actually well, a little bit... Well, and not only that... I would I would add to just the way Balmer dresses. Like he dresses like the biggest goober on earth. He has these hey, tucked in polos, those khakis, and I don't know. It's one of those things that you can really only pull off if everyone has to take you seriously in any room you enter because you have the biggest bank account uh in the in the world basically. Well, look, he's only like, you know, a few Mac Weldon orders away from being like right where he needs to be. I think you're being a little bit harsh. <laughs> Might be projecting a little bit of your own fashion insecurities upon no, Steve Ballmer. No, uh, look, I just want 50 billion dollars. I want oh. the freedom to wear whatever I want and knowing that I'm still going to be taken seriously. That's the the end game in all of this. Is that's that's my dream i'm gonna keep it real i'm a little bit surprised by some of the stuff you're saying right now because i have a sneaking suspicion and it's fueled by you know a few weeks worth of text messages here that you are a closet clippers hater waiting to unfurl his wings waiting to come out of the cocoon (laughs) the, the chrysalis whatever the scientific term is and i just think like you know just come out and be real about it you're betting against the clippers you think they're getting too much hype they're overrated. You're not with the squad, uh, and you see their flaws more than everybody else sees. And you're going to spend all season betting against them. Am I right? Have I forecast this correctly? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to totally commit to that stance. In part because once the Clippers are healthy and out there next season, I'm going to really enjoy watching them play and seeing what they turn into. I think. Montrez Harrell is going to be really fun as a supporting player next to Paul George and Kawhi. I'm excited to watch Lou Williams thrown into that mix, Patrick Beverly. And every time somebody says, think about how versatile this team is going to be defensively, that's 100% true. And I, I, I get it. I understand why people are really high on this team. But yes, I do have questions. And I think you can go up and down the the roster there. You can look at Doc and say, Are we positive that he is one of the best coaches in basketball? You can go with Kawhi. Like, people are talking about this dude like he's Michael Jordan or or like he's LeBron James. And really, like, the odds of him ever hitting the level he hit over the final three months with the Raptors in L.A. uh, seem like they're longer than we're acknowledging right now. And and maybe he will be that guy in L.A. and, and will go down in history as one of the 20 best players of all time. But I think, like, that's a significant leap. And then Paul George, like, he's a top 20 guy. A lot of people are talking about him as if he's a top 10 guy, and I'm not sold on that either. Yeah, you're out here sniffing around like a bloodhound. You you smell a tech bubble burst, and the Clippers are right in the middle of it. Uh, <laughs> it is a bit of a bubble. Like I was I was watching that press conference today, which, by the way, no better testament to how slow and boring the summer is that I took an hour out of my day well, to watch the Clippers live stream press conference. Fuck. But I think that you need to spin that one a little bit differently because I don't think it's just about it being slow right now. I think they've legitimately arrived as a story. They have, out of nowhere, become must-see TV. And if you go back even to the heights of the Lob City era, I mean, they were must-click tweets when DeAndre Jordan is just bodying 
Brandon Knight, right? And just like every single night, sure. Blake Griffin is just doing some just kamikaze dunk on somebody's head. And it's like, all right, I have to set aside like five minutes to just rewatch basketball versions of murders. But these guys are substantive. They're focused. They're, I would say, borderline cocky. I mean, the ease with which the Clippers were throwing around the title talk of Doc saying, look, this is not our greatest moment, this press conference. I know you guys are all excited about it, but there's more to come. We're a movement. Mm -hmm. Kawhi Leonard saying, oh, yeah, Lakers shadow. Who cares if we win the title? I don't care how much media attention that we get. I mean, Paul George even saying we have bigger goals or bigger things that we're focusing on than an L.A. rivalry against the Lakers. There was just a lot of swagger. There's a lot of confidence just coming from this group. And this is an organization that has never done anything. So it was blowing my mind as I'm uh, looking at, you know, I would consider to be an organization that has been marked by insecurity at times, infighting at times, failure to live up to expectations at times. And like these guys are just sticking their necks in the guillotine and being like, you know what? We are not afraid at all. Bring it on. We want to be the favorites. I respect it, man. And I think that's the reason why you tune in. I think that they want to be, they're not going to be the Warriors, obviously, the team that everybody either loves or loves to hate. I think that they're kind of relishing this moment at center stage. I don't think it's a coincidence you tuned in, man. I think a lot of people were tuned in, whether watching (laughs) the live stream or on Twitter, because, you know, they're kind of the new overlords. I mean, I guess so. When you hear them project that confidence, doesn't part of you wonder whether all of this will be the peak of this Clippers era? Oh, I mean, because look, there's no, See, there's no debate. There's no the debate hate. that July 19 is a huge, huge win for the Clippers. And this moment, you can't overstate what it means to their standing, both in L.A. and across the NBA. This is a huge win. But they now have to go out and actually do it on the court. And look... There are a lot of legitimate questions you can ask. And and I also look back at the way all this has unfolded. I still don't understand why they gave up as much as they did to go get Paul George. Because the more you break it down, it certainly doesn't sound like Kawhi was ever serious about the Lakers. And I don't think he was ever that serious about going back to Toronto. So I'm, I'm not really sure why it was necessary to give up almost every asset they had just to go get PG. No, they definitely felt like there was a gun to their head and they felt that they they were on a short um, clock. And they also, I think, had invested like a year's worth of mental energy and planning and focus and all of the doubts of, well, if we don't get Kawhi Leonard, then what? Like we're the laughing stock of the league and we're not going to make the playoffs next year. And, you know, we're going to have to listen to all the Lakers talk for years and years and years. Yeah. All built up. I mean, it was a completely like, you know, pressure packed environment. And they and I think that. You know, Kawhi said today he was, you know, he at least gave lip service to the idea that he was close to some of the other options, but it was the Paul George move that kind of pushed him over the top. Uh, I think that it was better for everybody, and I, I don't think that they should regret that package for Paul George because this does put them into uh, a totally different uh, caliber conversation than they've ever been in before and that they could ever get into in a reasonable manner at any point over these next couple of years. Like what's their scenario if they, if they just don't make the Paul George trade and they risk, uh, you know, losing Kawhi Leonard where they're in position to add two players uh, of that caliber at any point of the foreseeable future. Like it's not next summer because there's not really a lot of great options out there next summer. Um, their Mm -hmm. Their trade assets, I think in a lot of cases are depreciating. 
Um, you know, whether it's, you know, Gallinari, you know, eventually going to be just an expiring contract or, you know, closer to the end of his deal, um, you know, whether it is getting greater clarity on where those picks wind up, uh, whether it's guys like Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, you know, coming up for new contracts and, and that kind of compromising their cap space. Like this was the time uh, that they had to make a move, not only to satisfy Kawhi and to build a team, you know, to kind of jumpstart things, but also just within their own organizational timeline. Like if it was almost a little bit now or never for them. Yeah, no, and I hear that. And that's why it's not totally a criticism of the Clippers front office, except to say that I wonder whether they should have been a little bit more aggressive about calling Kawhi's bluff with the timeline he set out where it was like, I'm only committing if you have Paul George. Well, that then gives OKC like a tremendous amount of leverage that would have been cut in half if Kawhi had just signed in LA and then trade talks continued over the next week or two, because it certainly sounds like OKC was open to moving George regardless. Um, at least that's the way George made it appear. And yeah, like, there's um, been some real so revisionism the there, on the George side of things too. Cause he's like, Oh, this is completely mutual. Like Westbrook had already talked to them, you know, like, so the stories are really different well, from the OKC part of it, from what came out of o- Oklahoma city immediately. And then sort of how they're, they're casting it now. Um, after the fact, but I, I do think Kawhi definitely won the leverage game with the Clippers. There's no question about it, but if you're the Clippers... And that's why I would criticize Kawhi more than the Clippers' front office for the way they behaved, because it's just like, I, I get it on the Clippers' side. They they did not have better alternatives. They could not afford to strike out here, particularly if they thought the Lakers' threat was real, and so it, it makes sense in that respect. I don't understand why Kawhi would not recognize that like there's real value in the Clippers being able to have a better bargaining position with OKC. And then also some of those assets, like like the Clippers need help in the backcourt too. And um, they're kind of locked into this team right now. Well, they're the title favorites. So I'm not sure how much higher the ceiling you, you want to go uh, realistically. But let me ask you, what's their worst case scenario? If you're going to be in this doom and gloom mode, which I'm trying to pull out of you because I think it's pretty interesting radio. And it's definitely cutting across what most people are saying. Um, what do you see as their basement? You know, outside of obviously, you know, some season ending injury to Paul George or, you know, something crazy happening yeah. to Kawhi Leonard. Like, what's the worst case here? Like, uh, how 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 could this thing go wrong? Okay, so the two things that I worry about are one, Paul George's health, because he has looked kind of worn down by the end of the past two seasons, and uh, particularly last year, obviously. And look, Paul George at his peak is a top 10 player and is phenomenal. But you go back and look at some of the bigger moments we've seen from him over the past few years, and there have been a lot of letdowns along the way. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Well, come on. I came up with loose lips Paul because the guy was all talk during the playoffs and he wasn't backing it up and he just kept throwing people under the bus left and right. I mean, that was an ongoing thing for years. And I would say yeah. his entire time in Oklahoma City reinforced that. It was a huge letdown. Um, I, yeah. I blame Westbrook so primarily, but I think that um, you know if he was a top three MVP level candidate, he can't get ousted you know, in the first round of the playoffs in game five. I mean, that can't happen. That's kind of what I wonder about. So I want to see it from Paul George, both on the court in the playoffs, but also I, like, I worry about his health. And then the same questions apply to Kawhi when we're talking about his health, because he was a guy who was kind of hobbling around 
through the end of the NBA Finals and was able to get the win against a Warriors team that was playing with like half its rotation by the end of that series. But I left those finals with questions about his future going forward. And and those questions would have applied wherever he was going to sign this summer. Right. But are, so that's another thing. I mean, those are the obvious ones, though. Are there other cracks that you see? I mean, sort of, you know, defensively, like, do you have concerns there? I mean, the perimeter defense is going to be really strong. I think some people might say they don't have a traditional rim protecting five. So if you have to play big mm-hmm. ball, could that be a weakness? Are you worried about the chemistry or the fit between Paul George and Kawhi? Do you have other concerns offensively? I talked to some people in Vegas who were worried about their lack of an initiator. They basically said they thought Kawhi would really miss Kyle Lowry's ability to, you know, carry the offense through certain stretches of games or even for an entire games. And, uh, you know, Paul George is a very skilled scorer, but I don't view him as a true like lead playmaker. I'm not sure how great of a passer he is or, you know, whether you can give him the offense, like, you know, say Golden State did with Kevin Durant and, expect that to really you know continue at a very very high level i mean are there other weaknesses that you see and then also what's the scenario for where this blows up in their face like could could it be sort of the alternate history that the raptors lived where let's say Kawhi doesn't hit that shot in game seven against the sixers and they go out in the second round to a team that's uh you know just you know physical and athletic and had a really good defense and is able to kind of overpower them like are there teams in the western conference you could see where like they get to that you know unfavorable second round matchup uh and now they're going out way before everybody expected like uh basically you know dig in a little deeper here you know past the hell stuff yeah well past the hell stuff the lack of a creator on offense is something that i was going to mention because you go i love patrick beverly i love lou williams but i do wonder about how they're going to translate now that the baseline is going to be 55 or 60 wins instead of 45 or 50. I mean, those guys are like internet superstars, but I don't know if they're the guys you can build like a championship level team around. Um, And there aren't many other passers on that roster either. So that's a concern. I don't think we need to overstate it, but it's like one of those questions. And The perimeter defense versus interior defense question is also pretty interesting. People disagree. I I personally value like a free safety at the rim, whether it's Draymond or Anthony Davis, more than I would value like a lockdown point guard defender the way Patrick Beverly has been. Uh, But look, you're not going to have me like second guessing the defensive upside of a team with Paul George and Kawhi. But it's something to watch, particularly with it, when they have to match up with a guy like Anthony Davis. It's like Zubak. Uh, I guess you're going to have to put Kawhi or Paul George on AD at the at the end of things. But um, but yeah, I mean beyond that, you ask you ask about the downside. Okay, so downside. Let's say they do lose in the second round yeah, like, next so year. Which team beats them in the second round? Because I'm I'm going through these teams. I'm trying to figure out like. Uh, you know, I think they just match up really well with Houston. I think they match up really well with Portland. Um, I think they match up pretty well with Denver. So now we're looking at teams like maybe Golden State just has better chemistry. You know, they're, they're just clicking at a higher level. So maybe it's them. Uh, maybe it's Utah who just, you know, finds a way to just like, you know, lock everything down defensively, you know, turn it into an ugly series and then, you know, just, yeah. just beats them in, in kind of a grinding series, sort of like that Philly versus Raptors series maybe. Um, I don't know. Past that, I, I, you know, I don't think the Lakers can beat them in a series at this point if everybody's healthy. So 
that's what I'm trying to say. Like, is there somebody who you really think could beat them in that second round? I think the Lakers, Jazz, and Warriors could all beat them, and, and those matchups would be really interesting. I mean, look, I'm not sitting here saying the Clippers aren't good. I just think that they're not a foregone conclusion no. by any means. No, I'm, I'm pushing it, you to the brink. We're going to get it out of you. It's coming. No, we can we're hear not. It. We can definitely we're, hear we're it. Not, <laughs> we're not pushing me to the brink because I'm excited to, to watch that team, and I don't want to be like – Mr. Negative with them all year. Okay. But here's my there ace in the questions hole. Here's my sure. ace in the hole. What? Paul George came out today and he said, Look, guys like me and Kawhi, you know, guys who go get after it on both ends, you know, we're, it's a lost art in the NBA. We're a dying breed. That had to make your, your uh, blood boil, didn't it? I mean, you're just thinking, all oh, these guys aren't even talking about the bucket getters anymore. They're not showing any real love to the true spirit of basketball. Didn't you think that that was a little bit of grandstanding on their behalf? Didn't that get you upset at all? Well, yes, first of all. And then <laughs> I heard that it didn't get me. It, 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 my reaction to that quote was to think back to Paul George guarding Damian Lillard and giving up an extra five feet of room for some reason and <laughs> Lillard hitting a game winner that ended OKC's season. So that was my first impulse. And then yeah. second, Bucket I think gotten. that... Uh, yeah, well, and I also wonder, you know, I they can be like team grit and grind out in LA and I, they're doing that in stark opposition to the Lakers and that's a brand that they've kind of embraced for themselves. That makes sense. But I do wonder how often we're going to see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and and how durable they're going to be in that role. And so that's that's ultimately like the the source of my skepticism. And look, the other thing is it's just hard for me to get past how much they gave up to make this team a reality. And and that some of that is just like mysticism on my part I feel like anytime you go all in so aggressively and put all your eggs in one basket bad things tend to happen but look you go back they gave up five first round picks multiple swaps Shea Gilgis Alexander who had a ton of trade value Danilo Gallinari who also would have had a lot of value if they like I mean the Thunder will probably be able to get another first for him this winter there's just like we can't overstate how ridiculous that trade package was. And I think that like the drama of the way this Clippers team came together had a lot of people reacting in the first half of July being like, well, it's their league now. And um, I'm not ready to go there yet. It's funny because you're also the guy who was telling us that first round picks were overvalued for year after year after year. So finally a team decides to go all in with that philosophy and you're like, wait a minute, maybe maybe I got to think twice about that. No, 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 no. This is I'm actually glad you brought this up because there have been a lot of people saying first round picks don't matter anymore. Like blah, blah, blah. It's clear that teams just don't value first anymore. I think that's true. But firsts have value as trade assets for teams. And so like a team like the Lakers... I don't think that they should worry about giving away first round picks in the 20s because those rookies would have helped LeBron and Anthony Davis contend. But you're giving away other trade chips that you can use to build out the rest of your team once once you're just putting every asset on the table. And both the Clippers and Lakers did that this year, and now they're kind of locked into the core they have. And the other thing that I want to emphasize is that I've had a number of conversations with front office people who are on your side with this and say, look, 
it's a title shot. Give up whatever you need to give up, and it will be worth it. I would love to start my team with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and figure the rest out. And I think that's a totally reasonable stance. I just have a gut feeling that it's going to be more complicated than it looks in July. Well, I think that everybody involved is preparing for complications. I think that these guys are confident, but I don't think that they view themselves like cakewalking to anything, right? Like this is a different environment than the Golden State thing where it's like you get Kevin Durant and it's like, all right, now Draymond will just talk all sorts of mess to every single person that he comes across because he realizes that no one's going to be able to make him pay for it. You know what I mean? I don't think that's the environment that the Clippers are in. Um, I also think that it's just something about their franchise too. Like they've been kicked for 50 years. You know what I mean? Like they've, and they've been through a lot, even in the last five years, when you look at uh, the collapse against the Houston Rockets, um, you know, the Donald Sterling saga, uh, you know, the Blake Griffin, uh, you know, that trade kind of, causing them a momentary, you know, PR issue with the fan base being like, what the heck is going on? I mean, they have been through a lot. And I think that this is almost more than any other team around the league, an organization that needed to make a statement. And I think that factors into the price they paid. Uh, I'm surprised, though, when you're listing off some of the downsides to everything they did, that you haven't gone more into the idea of how long will they be with the Clippers? Because, that's another huge risk here. And it's not specific just to those two guys. I mean, we're seeing superstars just get more and more impatient, you know, uh, mm-hmm. trying to just, you know, jump from market to market to market. Like, isn't there a scenario where they do win a title or they compete for a title, you know, get really close. And then, you know, two or three years come up and the other guys just decide, you know what, the supporting cast that we came here with isn't the same supporting cast. There's another team up scenario over here with uh, team X, say down in Miami or, Toronto, wherever it might be for some one of these guys. And they just decide, you know what, this is another chapter of my career and do sort of like what Paul George did to Oklahoma City. And now the Clippers are left, you know, kind of hat in hand saying, wait a minute, what happened here? Like, you know, we didn't get all we were hoping for out of it. You know, we were banking on them being here forever. And that's not how it went. Like, isn't that a maybe a, an under discussed risk at play? Yeah, I mean, we'll kind of have to see where we are. The way I interpreted Kawhi's two-year deal was that he's going to hit that 10-year mark and then just look to cash out and stay with the Clippers. That's obviously giving him more of the benefit of the doubt than he probably has earned at this point, given the way he's handled the last couple of seasons. But, um, and not that, like, he's free to go wherever he wants. Like, I don't have a problem with the way he's handled the last few seasons, but, like, I just don't imagine that he would leave L.A. and find a better situation or a situation that checks more of the boxes that he's going to care about or that Paul George is going to care about. If you're asking for concerns, though, I just look at the age of those guys. I look at Kawhi, Paul George, or Kawhi's body worries me and how it's going to age. Paul George is 29. Uh, Pat Beverly, I believe, is 31. Lou Williams is maybe even a year or two older than that. And you look at the guys that have owned the league, like LeBron is not normal. Kevin Durant is not normal. And even he, his future is uncertain. But like, I think we've taken for granted the idea that everybody is just going to continue to dominate like well into their 30s, where I'm not sure that's true, particularly for these two guys. No, I hear you on that. I just doubling back real quick to the idea of like, how long is anyone going to be able to stay patient? Part of my thinking on that was just hearing like the carefully scripted talking points from Paul George, who just gave us carefully scripted talking points about how why he wanted to stay in Oklahoma City and why he resigned in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Like the messaging 
is just like it just updates so quickly. I'm mean, here's Paul George up on this on the uh, the podium saying, you know, I was a Clipper fan growing up. I always wanted to come home, <laughs> and it's like not. 12 months ago, he's telling us about how much he loves to fish in Oklahoma City and how he's a small town guy and it's a great place to raise his family and he's got a special bond with Russell Westbrook that nobody else can touch. And I, you know, I'll be honest, he's very convincing. I sort of believed him when he explained the Oklahoma City thing. Oh, man. Come on, you sucker. Well, yeah, in hindsight, but... Now you you sort of when you when he's signing up for four years you assume okay well he's going to be there for at least three of them right now you you hear him say all this L A stuff you sort of believe the L A stuff too but do you really or how convinced are you we get two years into the future and he's not telling us a new story about whatever the next chapter of his journey is I don't know that's just it, look it, Paul George just says stuff that's why I didn't even read that much into him saying well the OKC thing was actually kind of mutual. That would be big news if it came from a different NBA player. But Paul George has just proven to be an unreliable narrator at every point over the last four or five years, as we've documented on this podcast. I do think if I were a Lakers fan, I would be talking all kinds of trash about the Clippers and Paul George in particular. Like if we if this were a Lakers podcast, I would maybe organize like a special bonus episode where we go through last year's ESPN documentary on his free agency decision where he's like (laughs) looking into the camera talking about how much he loves Oklahoma City and how he grew up a Lakers fan. Like I, it's just like his whole shtick has been fairly ridiculous over the last two years. And that might be the biggest concern of all of them to me, right? Because if Kawhi clearly wanted to play with another superstar, You've traded a lot of assets to get this guy as your second superstar. I personally like targeting Paul George more than Kyrie Irving, more than Jimmy Butler. Um, I think in the Clippers case, you can make a pretty good argument even more than Kevin Durant um, because you'd have to wait Mm -hmm. a year. And and this year, they're going to actually be able to contend during a season in which Durant won't be on the court. Um, So I like that. I like that targeting of Paul George now and in the immediate future, but it's the longer term thing that would have me Uh, you know, very nervous, even past the health stuff. I think I might be more concerned about that than anything. After the trip, I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed, and I thought, can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. The unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named Eldon Kidd, American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck, so you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding.
Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Okay, so one question at the end, and this is from Luke. He says, when the finals ended, we saw lots of talk about the value of load management, and it seems a lot of people are expecting this trend to continue. But I'm wondering whether load management in the West will be offset by stiffer competition. As Ben mentioned in a recent podcast, a lot of these teams aren't going to make it out of the first round. And I think standings are going to matter more this year than they have in a long time. So how do you think teams in the West will manage that schedule this year? Will it look different than it has the last four or five years? What do you think about that, Ben? Well, first things first, it's the show, okay? Standings matter every year in the Western Conference. It's deeper. It's much more talented. It's just harder. I mean, it's grueling. If you gave any of these Western Conference teams Eastern Conference schedules, you'd be amazed at the win totals that they would be able to put up. And I just think, uh, you know, this year, here we go. it might be, <laughs> I mean, I hear what he's saying. It might be a little bit more pronounced just because there's not a clear-cut favorite. And I think sometimes having a team like Golden State reduces other teams incentives to really gun for it because it's like you're never actually going to get home court advantage in the in the conference finals like when golden state's running off 73 win seasons it's like a lot easier to talk yourself into just you know going a little bit easier or you know taking certain nights off um but i think that a, a lot of the the star pairings in the western conference are basically all veteran guys right and i think all those guys trust their own ability whether that's uh, to a healthy degree or maybe even to an unhealthy degree in certain cases, you know, i.e. Russell Westbrook, uh, where I don't think they're going to be as concerned about this regular season stuff as long as they're in the playoffs and especially if they can get home court advantage in the first round. I think they're going to trust their own abilities to prevail in the superstar showdown of the mega death of the second round. So I, I think he's overthinking it just a touch. I don't think there's going to be so much pressure that there's like 12 teams competing for every single spot and all these guys have to play 80 games and run each other down. I don't think it's going to be quite like that. From the Clippers standpoint, they weren't committing to when Paul George is coming back on the court. Like they didn't give a firm return date on that with the shoulders. Um, the early indications from them is that Kawhi, um, you know, he's not going to be under the same level of load management that he was in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, possibly because yeah. his body's just in a better place than it was 12 months ago. Um, so I think it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, a very uh, exhausting and uh, intense regular season, just like every year. I don't see major factors changing this season. <laughs> just like every year in the show, of course. Um, so that's interesting, though, because the one thing that I thought about when we're throwing out second round hypotheticals, like if I were playing Utah... I would much rather have home court than have to play the first two games in Salt Lake City with those insane fans. I mean, I don't know. We have to wait and see what the Jazz turn into. But, like, that's the type of situation where, I don't know, having home court would actually have a lot of value. And the same is probably true against Denver, although Denver (laughs) almost went down 0-2 to the Spurs last year. But you know what I mean? I I do. this is going to be high intensity. I do, but Houston's gone into Utah no problem and and taken care of them. And I think Portland, you know, won a game seven on Denver's home court um, in the second round. So I get that to a certain degree, but I I think, you know, if there's a balance, like I— there's going to be a rush for the seedings at the end of the year, for sure, especially if it's you know bunched up like we expect. I mean, remember that crazy last night of the season where Houston's trying to win, and then you know Sacramento is like throwing a game, and like it's just like and, you know all the seedings changed on the very last night of the year. I'm not sure it's yeah. going to repeat to that degree, but there's going to be some jockeying. I just don't think that it's going to be influencing 
it's not going to be the main factor influencing these teams in terms of how they're planning right. their schedules, right? Like if there's one guy who I think will take the regular season more easily than anybody else, I would guess it would be LeBron, uh, followed by Kawhi, depending on where his body is. Yeah, um, that makes sense to me. I would like if someone out there were able to make a documentary about the final night of the 2019 NBA regular season, like a sit-down interview with Anthony Simons. You could get the Nuggets involved. I do not have the energy for any of that, but uh, it was a crazy, crazy two hours there in the Western Conference and honestly had a lot of ramifications when you think about the playoff matchups and the way conversations have changed over the last six months because of that. But um, I do have one other note for you, Ben, and one other question. Where do you think Andre Iguodala will end up? I hope he's smart enough to join the Clippers. I mean, this guy's got tech aspirations. Uh, I think the Balmer should be involved heavily in the recruitment of Andre Iguodala, however however that's legal. Uh, you know, under the, the, the trade situations. But to me, it's an insane fit. It would be so much fun to watch that team be able to put out lineups with basically like five wings or uh, four wings in a perimeter guard or four wings in a big. Um, I think they could use some of his confidence, some of his championship experience um, on their bench. Yeah. I think it would also more than anything, and I might have already told this to you in person, but to me, if I was Balmer, I would pay Andre Iguodala like $10 million a year just to be like a CEO of his one of his like tech companies and just not to play for the Lakers. Because I think the <laughs> like the worst possible scenario for the Clippers, like I honestly, like the thing that would uh, kind of mess with their championship odds more than anything else would be for Iguodala to go to the Lakers and balance out that wing dynamic. So yes. if you're Balmer, either pay Andre Iguodala to retire or, you know, do whatever it takes on the trade market to, to get him and just to give yourself an embarrassment of riches on that on that uh, on that perimeter defense. Dude, a hundred percent. And I, I think that's part of what makes this so interesting. Palinka was Iguodala's agent and will have recruiting power with Iguodala, and both of those teams should be fighting over him and um it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out because I do think it will have major implications more on the Lakers side. The Lakers, I don't Lakers know what they him. do they need with him, Kawhi. <laughs> exactly. So well, that's a good the question. Lakers are going to be thirsty as hell. Let me ask you, if you're Iguodala, who would you rather face less? Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs or LeBron James in the playoffs? Because if you're getting signed by one of those teams, that's your job, right? Like your primary responsibility right. in life is is to give lots of quality defensive minutes against one of those two guys. Like who who's keeping you up at night more if you're Iguodala? Uh look, if I'm Iguodala, I would if if he goes to the Lakers, he's going to be one of two, well I guess Danny Green will be there as well, but he's going to be one of three plus defenders on the roster with AD, Danny Green and Iggy. If he goes to the Clippers, he's going to be on probably the best defensive team he'll have ever been on, uh, with all due respect to some of those Warriors teams. like The versatility the Clippers are going to be working with would be a lot of fun to be part of. So it'll be a test of how his relationship with Palinka is and potentially what kind of like cryptocurrency benefits Balmer can smuggle to Iguodala in the next six months. Or maybe someone else will trade picks for him and get him out of Memphis before we cross any of these bridges. But like, 
the Clippers and the Lakers don't really have that option because of everything they gave up for Paul George and uh, AD. Yeah, I mean, so maybe it's better to look at which, rather than which player he wants to face less, maybe it's which team is better equipped to manage his, like, persistent calf strains more, right? Like, yeah, if you're the Lakers, it doesn't matter if he's got calf strains on both legs. Like, you've got to have him on the court in the fourth quarter of playoff games. Like, that's just going to be a must. Whereas with the Clippers, you could probably work around him a little bit more easily. Uh, I think if I was him, I would sign with the Clippers, honestly. Um, And I also think Mm. that in your little riff there, uh, you definitely disrespected Draymond Green and Kevin Durant's defensive versatility. I think that the peak Warriors right, defense right. was still better than the peak Clippers defense uh, with Andre Iguodala. But, you know, you know what, man? You and I, look, just I regretted here. it as soon as right. I said well, it. Look. And I, I like that you're just Mr. Clipper these days. Come to the Clippers. You're you're kind of like a booster for Balmer. Yeah, well, you know, you know how he takes care of the media. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's well documented after the summer of 19. Um, all right, I feel like that's enough on the clips, and let's keep it moving, Ben. Is that cool with you? But first, a message from Raycon. <laughs> Usually that's my department, but yes, today's show is brought to us by Raycon. It's 2019, and everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you guys go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon recently sent me a pair of of wireless headphones, and they have been awesome to work out with. Great for traveling. You guys should all check them out. They start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as incredible. And the company was actually co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy, J.R. Smith, all of whom are already obsessed. Ben, tell me how your Raycon obsession is going. Oh, they've totally changed the game for me. They're just so comfortable, Andrew, and so easy to take anywhere. Portable, that's what you want from headphones. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. I'm not sure if there's anything less cool at this point of society than wired headphones, but if so, you better get off that ship, trust me. And Raycon earbuds come in all sorts of different colors. They look great, they sound great. They are great headphones for me, for Andrew, and for you. Go to buyraycon.com slash floor to get 20% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash floor for 20% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, buyraycon.com slash floor. All right. And with that, let's keep it moving. Let's go down to Louisiana, Ben, because Paolo says Zion signs with Jordan brand. That's obviously a big marketing win for them. So if you were Zion, would you choose to debut the Air Jordan 34 and wear the main line or have your own sub-brand like Russ's Why Nots? Uh, ben, what do you think? I included this mainly because I wanted to talk about how depressing it is that Zion signed with Jordan oh, Brand. come on. But I'll let you lead off and take it whatever direction you prefer. Well, first of all, a different Paolo pointed out to me that like four years ago at a Jordan Brand summit in Los Angeles, I asked like a very direct and forthright question of uh, Jordan Brand President Larry Miller of why he let Mm -hmm. Giannis go to Nike rather than Jordan Brand. 
And I just want to say, like, history has really held up quite well for me on that one. Can you imagine how much bigger Giannis would be if he was, like, the face of Jordan Athletics right now? I mean, Chris Paul is out of the way. Carmelo has been out of the way. I think Westbrook's got his lane, but it hasn't really been, like, an on-court lane. To have, you know, and Jimmy Butler, you know, he kind of, like, hit a ceiling there. I think that was a nice move for them, but it really wasn't, like, the complete game-changer maybe they were hoping it would be. Having Giannis yeah. as the face of... uh Jordan would have been unreal. And I think Zion's not a bad uh, backup strategy, and it's a nice long play for Jordan. Um, but to me, that was just a real missed opportunity. Now, in terms of Zion... Well, it's a, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's a missed opportunity for Jordan Brand. You were right to cross-examine poor Larry Miller, who's like, what, Giannis, the 19-year-old Greek kid? What do you mean? But uh, I also... Giannis is so much cooler with Nike than being with Jordan Brand. See, you just don't have good taste. That's your problem. Jordan Brand sneakers are the best there was, their best there is, the best there ever will be. Now, look, they've been in a... No, Jordan has not made a cool sneaker in like 10 years. Honest to God, they release new products every single year. And each one is uglier than the last. Andrew, it makes me very sad I bought the, that this is what's happened to an iconic brand. Look, I, but we need to do better if we're on Team Zion. I bought the coolest shoes that were non-Jordan shoes that have been released in five years. You might remember them. They had a charging pad. They had a USB cord plug-in. <laughs> they had lit up with different colors. And you tried to clown those and say they were whack. That's the best shoe that's not Jordan that's out there on the market. I just think that... First of all, Jordan needs to give Zion his own sneaker, okay? They need to replenish the stocks of signature athletes. They haven't had a lot of success on that front, I will admit. Mellow's shoes were always whack. Chris's shoes were okay, but you know, not something you're going to rush out to buy from a stylistic perspective. And I, I, I yeah. just wasn't really... I'm not a why not kind of guy, you know? I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> why not's not my lifestyle, okay? So... Zion is a great opportunity for Jordan Brand to sort of rejuvenate themselves, but I think they need to learn the lesson from Giannis and don't drag this thing out. We don't want to be like thirsting over the Jordan Zion one for the next three and a half years, right? Like you knew he was going to be an incredibly marketable athlete when he was like 15 years old. You should already have the Jordan Zion ones in the cut, in the lab, ready to drop opening night. And they probably don't. And that's frustrating, but I'm glad they got it done. And I'm hoping that maybe by the start of his second year, he will have his own signature where he's not being forced to just wear retros uh, or to take risks with, you know, a different type of shoe blowing out where he's got something, you know, he's probably going to need tanks, sort of like the LeBron signatures. (laughs) And honestly, I'm not sure how marketable those are going to be, but I want Nike's best minds on this project. Uh, and you're asleep. You're way too hard on Jordan, man. To me, this is for a guy who just put up a photo of himself with some Jordans from a, a childhood photo on Instagram like a week ago and, you know, showing how proud you That's were true. to wear those sneakers. This is just blasphemous slander from you. Look, man, all I'm saying is that I'm alarmed. I, we, we've talked about this in the past that I was very high on Brandon Ingram in the draft and then had to adjust my expectations for his NBA career after he signed with Adidas instead of Nike. Mm. And that's sort of where I'm at with Zion signing with Jordan Brand instead of Nike. I don't like it. I don't I don't like that the Pelicans didn't draft Garland. I didn't, I didn't like that Zion was 20 pounds overweight in Vegas, and I don't like that he's with Jordan Brand. Uh, I am on high alert here for what's next, but either way, uh, congrats on the $75 million. That's a big win. Happy for the, the Williamson clan there. 
keeping it moving. So uh, could, another Jordan question. I think you are the only person who was pro Fultz, anti Simmons, pro Ingram, and now anti Zion. This is like an unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> this is an unbelievable Venn diagram you've painted for yourself. Just nothing but uh, look, nothing but lonely second. islands for you. No, Pro Fultz was not a lonely island. That was a consensus number one pick that literally every single person in the NBA thought was going to be yeah, an all-star. Because we all read your profile, but, and we all got suckered in. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, all right. It, Tom asks, keeping with the theme here for another minute, Tom asks, is the current version of Michael Jordan as a basketball player still a better player than Michael Jordan is as an owner? What do you think about that? Well, clearly you're just in the mood to go after Mike. So go ahead. Fine. Let's hear it. (laughs) I'll say this though. I think he's a better player and then a better sneaker salesman and then an owner. If you're like, if you're ranking his current abilities and look, he's probably had better, you know, decades as a sneaker pitch man too, but I still think he's a better face for a sneaker company than he is an owner. And there's no question that, you know, basketball wise, uh, he would still perform at a higher level than he would uh, as an owner. Because look, if Mike was in the NBA right now, he would not be the worst player in the NBA. And he's in the discussion as the worst owner in the NBA, right? Yeah, do you think Michael Jordan, I don't know exactly how old he is. I think he's 51 or 52. He had his 50th birthday party at one of these All-Star weekends in the past few years. Um, Do you think he could get minutes in the Lakers rotation right now? Like, could 52-year-old Michael Jordan play above Contavious Caldwell Pope? I mean, look... I've been making the argument that he should come back multiple times. I've <laughs> I've said that fairly recently. Just FYI, just to make yourself feel old, though, he's 56. So, you know, I remember that 50th oh. birthday party, too. But that just is a, a reminder of how old we've gotten here as we've been wasting away our lives talking on podcasts twice a week for the last couple of years. That's um, pretty sobering. I'm not going to lie. I, I think he could start for maybe the Suns and maybe even the Hornets, honestly. Like, is it outside the realm of possibility he could give you spot minutes? Like, what's the difference between 56-year-old Michael Jordan and Jared Dudley? Like, what's what's really the functional difference between those two players? It, I Look, man, I don't even know who's on the Hornets. I'm Googling it now. Next year's Hornets are going to be Terry Rozier, Malik Monk, Nicholas Batum, Miles Bridges, Dwayne Bacon. I mean, there's not a doubt in my mind Michael Jordan could give those guys a good 25 minutes and be a better player, a more productive player than he has been as an owner. So I think that kind of answers the question right there. It's like he's he'd be more useful to the Hornets as a player than he's been as an owner. Um yeah, that's that's pretty damning. Uh, that's a little bit sad. Yeah. I don't understand why you're so down on his shoes. I'm still mad about that, but I should spin it positively. He's also, speaking of his birthday parties, he's an amazing party planner. Whoever's par- planning the Jordan brand parties, I've been able to get into two over the years. And the oh. first one had Prince performing, which was one of the coolest nights of my life. And the second one had like an open cigar bar 
and like three hours of 90s rap and a birthday cake in the shape of a Jordan 11. And that was amazing, well, too. Well, the party planner can't be that good if they're skimping on security so you get in. I mean, that's... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's crazy. There was, a, there was definitely a clerical error along the way on that okay, one. Okay, we're going to disagree about the Jordan sneakers, I think, until, you know, forever, because I, I, I still think they're better than Nike basketball. However... I got to tell you, so I was in a stopover in Las Vegas on my way back, uh, you know, from the the road trip to end all road trips. I went to Caesars Palace. The Nike store was a shrine to Giannis. I mean, I'm talking like 30 foot tall posters of Giannis. There was like fake Greek columns with his (laughs) shoes. They had all of the Greek uh, like lettering and design, you know, that are on the shorts that we had talked about previously. It was just cakes Uh all over the store. And one of the sales guys like pulled me aside and he was like, you know, this Giannis stuff is flying off the shelves. He's like, we can't keep it in stock. We've only got one model of the shoe. All the shorts are gone. They did have a number of the freak t-shirts. So our opinion about the freak t-shirts, you know, the giant freak shirts, um, not really being capable of being worn in public by lots of people. I think that was confirmed by this, uh, you know, this in-person episode that I had. I'm just telling you, Andrew, it was a Giannis Inc boardroom meeting in person it was like what we've been envisioning has come to life so we got to give nike credit they are pushing Giannis hard i think that was your point last week they've really gotten behind him with this publicity tour and i'm i'm telling you it hit retail and it was wild to see man i it's on my bucket list for the rest of the summer i need to make it to one of these Giannis pop-up shops with the fake greek columns because it really is the greek columns complete it as far as i'm concerned i'm glad you brought up the t-shirts though because i don't want to be misconstrued on the last podcast the reason that shirt isn't cool to me isn't because I would worry about being seen as like a sexual deviant wearing the giant (laughs) freak Nike logo. (laughs) That's not my issue. It's more that like over the last five or six years, Nike has started releasing clothing where it will just be like a swoosh and like a giant word that says like swagger or something. And it's just like the dorkiest shit imaginable. Mm. All stuff that I would have purchased if I were a 13-year-old in a Nike town. And I think that's my issue with the freak shirt is that like if I were 13 years old, I would probably have a freak shirt in four different colors, but I'm not that person anymore. So I've, I've, I feel like I've graduated beyond that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's really just the shame of wearing a shirt that's it. Like being a self-identified freak. <laughs> like I just put it in there with like the giant tongue ring stud or, you know, like the pink strands in your hair or whatever else. Like, you know, at some point, it's just, you can't go that, you can't go that direction, you know? Okay, okay. Or uh, I, well, I should say, know. I can't go that direction. People can definitely go there. To whatever anyone wants to do, go out there and do it. And if you want to wear those shirts, I, I personally will not judge you. I would just judge myself. Okay, well, I'm, it's good to know that Officer Gulliver is open-minded on that front. Um, but with that, Ben, let's keep it moving. Colin says, from one hero of yours to another, Colin says, is Tim Duncan's appointment as a Spurs assistant coach a precursor to him eventually taking over the head job when Greg Popovich retires. I hate the Spurs, Colin adds, but I really want this to happen because it would be so, so cool. What do you think, Ben? Um, 
It's brilliant in theory, but I worry in practice, Andrew. You know, communicating with millennials, it's not like the old days, all right? This is a different <laughs> challenge. And we learned from the experience of Brian Shaw, where he was like trying to wrap the game plans to his players, and they're all looking around like there's a real generational divide here. Um, yeah. I, I can see Tim Duncan being an incredible assistant coach, right? Because it's more about one on one education and knowledge and like you know fundamentals yeah, yeah big brother type stuff that head coaching job comes with a lot of uh you know different responsibilities balancing minutes communicating with every single guy motivating people i think that duncan as a culture setter would be unparalleled but he's gonna have to communicate with the media constantly what he says as a coach matters even though we like to joke about popovich's uh you know, press conferences, like there's a lot to them and he's a master manipulator and button pusher in those kinds of settings. Uh, it's difficult to see Duncan wanting to do those things and actually doing them with any sort of a gusto. And you also have to kind of like yeah. be the face and sell the organization and carry, uh, you know, teams through tough times as a coach. And, um, you know, that's not something that Duncan ever had to deal with as a player because he was so darn good. They never struggled. <laughs> they were great for 20 years straight. So, um, Maybe he should challenge some of these preconceived notions that I have about what could be potential weaknesses for him. Maybe he should prove me wrong, just like he proved guys like you wrong for 20 years and being one of the all-time greatest champions uh, of the sport has ever seen. Uh, but I, Are you calling me a Tim Duncan skeptic? I don't think I ever oh, would check that box oh, on my own on. resume. We've definitely argued about Duncan versus Kobe before. Um, I guess my, my point is here... I would be nervous if this would happen. I like the idea of the assistant coach. I think it's awesome. And if they both ride off in the sunset together, if this is Popovich's last season, I think that's, you know, beautiful. I like the press conference or the press release they put out where it was just very simple describing him as a Wake Forest graduate who happened to play 19 years in the NBA and kind of leaving it at that. Um, yeah, I just, well, it was very Spursy. It, they, it was a little cute as far as I was concerned, uh, honestly. I mean, they're very impressed with how low-key they keep it with all these things. But uh, that aside, I think this is really cool. And I'm, I'm super, super excited to have him back in the mix. And that is kind of off-brand for me. I was not a Duncan super fan See? growing up. But, um, and I think the, the precise argument that we had was Tim Duncan versus Shaq. And that is an argument I will continue to this day. Uh, Shaq is the most underappreciated superstar of the last 40 years. But Duncan, man. He only got five rap albums and 10 blockbuster movies. So underappreciated, boy. I just think as far as where he ranks historically, we're underselling him by about five or six spots on well, most of the all-time lists I see. I can tell you this. Tim Duncan's amazing, though. Shaq undersold himself. We can we can agree on that. I mean, he, he definitely <laughs> could have put in a little bit more work. It's just nice to see guys who he, get 100% out of their, uh, their God-given abilities like Tim Duncan. Do you actually like this idea of Duncan as a head coach, though, or do you share my... my because uh, I, I look at it like this. Duncan's legacy is like as pure as it gets right now, right? And we've seen yeah. other p- players, whether it's Magic Johnson trying to be a coach or an executive, other guys who went out on top and went out in beautiful storybook fashion with basically 100% approval ratings, like Michael Jordan, for example, as, as you're just, you know, killing his sneakers and his ability as an owner. <laughs> uh, do we want Duncan subjected to those same possibilities or does he really have anything to gain from doing this that's my question um 
Here's why I would love to see him as a head coach. I want to get to know Tim Duncan. And so you talk about the media responsibilities as being a major negative, which I'm sure for him it would be. And it would be something that would counterbalance any enthusiasm he has for ever becoming a head coach. But um, I would really enjoy getting to know Tim Duncan as he gets older and does have to meet with the media. And it's one of those things where like, I'm not expecting him to be chatty Cathy in the scrums every day, but just having to show up and talk to people before and after games, I feel like we would see more of his personality come to the surface. And I think he's probably a really interesting guy and someone that like we just don't know very well. And then you talk to Spurs people and they all swear that he's really funny behind the scenes and um, is more expansive than he's ever been in public. And I think seeing that side of him would be pretty interesting and exciting. That said, everything you laid out about why being the head coach would be more challenging, the ego management and, you know, managing up to the front office and everything else, like that may be more trouble than Tim Duncan cares to inherit. And I think the idea of him staying after practice for an extra 45 minutes to work on post moves or to help out DeJounte Murray or Lonnie Walker or whatever, that seems like a much more realistic role for him than being the head coach one day. You know, it would be the ultimate act of selflessness that we've seen from Tim Duncan in his entire career to be the guy who says, look, following in Greg Greg Popovich's footsteps is like the ultimate nightmare scenario for a coach yeah i'm gonna go and do that for a year or two and i'm not gonna be good at it intentionally (laughs) so that we can set up a brighter future for whoever the next coach is after him if he would just kind of like jump on that landmine for the entire organization that actually could improve uh uh, his reputation just another degree you know that's a great great read on it um but speaking of popovich coaching roles that's how i'm gonna spin it when he goes 30 and 52 in back-to-back seasons yeah exactly which will be much better by the way than michael jordan coming back to the nba with the wizards okay it's a low bar as far as like legends reprising their role in the spotlight so i think tim duncan whatever he decides to do with the spurs is going to be able to clear that bar a um, lot of MJ shots on this. I didn't yeah. intend it to be this negative, but it is what it is. No, and it says um, a lot about the Hornets that you hate the MJ Wizards era, and yet you just advocated for him being like their second best player like 15 minutes ago, even though he's 56 yeah, years seriously, old. Seriously, <laughs> the two-man game with MJ and Dwayne Bacon. Um, but moving on to another Greg Popovich coaching role. Michael says, another day, another Team USA snub. This time it's Dame Lillard. What happened to the pride to represent your national team? So, Ben, I am going to toss this to you since you um, let off our podcast earlier in the week with a call to listeners everywhere to take more pride in America and experience the bounty it has to offer. What do you think about the way everybody's handling Team USA responsibilities this summer? Well, it doesn't say a lot about Popovich's ability as a recruiter. I mean, that makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, I would have expected more from him to be able to kind of keep this band together or at least have like, you know, a core group of guys. I think it's a bad look for USA basketball that they're all just kind of going out in droves. Um, I think it's unfortunate Mm -hmm. as somebody who likes this tournament, um, even when it was called the World Championships or whatever, like I enjoy watching those games. And Me too. a lot of players, I mean, there's not that much talent left. And I think the USA basketball is actually 
in real jeopardy of not winning the tournament. So I don't know if you want like a more level playing field if you're one of these guys who thinks that super teams are bad uh, for sports like Andrew, then you're going to be really excited to tune in to watch Kemba Walker and uh, Chris Middleton, you know, do battle with the best that uh, whoever Spain has to offer. I'm pretty sure, though, a year ago, we warned the Australians that this would happen to a certain degree, didn't we? Like, didn't we get all these like rush of excited emails of, oh, are LeBron and Steph Curry going to come to Australia? And didn't we tell them, hey, just pump the brakes. Like, it's probably not going to be those guys. Um, I didn't think it was going to get yeah. this bad. But I think, unfortunately, Michael, like, you have to hold yourself responsible for that $800 purchase, okay? You're going for a, a once-in-a-lifetime event. Uh, whoever comes with the jerseys, uh, you know, with USA across their chest, you should be at this point, I think, excited to see. Um, And it was more of a buyer beware type situation. Um, And I also think you should be looking at this as potentially a real win for your nationalistic pride. Like, don't you want to see the boomers take it to USA basketball? Like what that's now a possibility. And wouldn't that be the best possible investment of $800 to see Australia knock out the United States? I think so. Yeah, well, Michael was one of several Australians who had tickets to that game, and condolences to all of them, because Michael, I didn't read that part of his email, but he dropped $800 another another Aussie dropped a close to a thousand dollars on tickets and it that's a that's a tough blow a tough pill to swallow on that one um I'm, I I am almost positive that we warned them about it so look we no I I remember it specifically we got questions about it and we were like yeah we'll see where I'm not sure if I would bet on everybody showing up I will say they used to do this the I, what is it the FIBA championships here um, yeah, this is the World Cup. They rebranded it, trying to make it bigger than the Soccer World Cup. We're still working on that goal, Andrew. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't reached that one yet. Well, they used to do it two years before the Olympics, and now it's only a year before the Olympics. And I actually do understand why some guys who want to play for Team USA at the Olympics don't want to sacrifice their summer two years in a row and so it puts kind of an added burden on guys it was a a wake-up call for me when i saw the latest version of a team usa roster and thaddeus young is i believe going to be on team usa or he's at least in training camp right now which is a bit of a red flag i feel like team usa has to have a higher bar no i'll Um, keep it real like i was planning to go for a week out to vegas to go to the training camp and then they're coming back to la for another week and usually that is just like you know if you're talking about going viral like you know how thirsty i get for the retweets and stuff i mean that is usually just like prime hunting season there's a million stories tons and tons of really good guys in the gym and now i'm thinking like is there a new Marcus Smart angle that we haven't investigated yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I don't know, I th- man. I think FIBA really shot themselves in the foot, though. You made a great point on the calendar. It does screw things up. It does make it more difficult for free agents, too, because it's like you're, you're sort of planning, and now like there's two summers back-to-back, so you know which one do you pick? Um, also, the qualifications is just so insane, where like Jeff Van Gundy had like these D-leaguers or G-leaguers uh, trying to even qualify the United States. I mean, we almost didn't make it at one point. Yeah, it's a mess, and I don't know why they tried to, you know, to change this thing to break it. I'm not sure if their goal was to sort of, uh, you know, eliminate the United States' death grip on this tournament. I mean, maybe that was factoring into their thinking. Um, 
but that seems very short-sighted. Like if I'm the FIBA organizers, I would be trying to cater to USA Basketball to make sure they would send the best players because that's how every, everyone gets excited, right? I mean, remember those teams when like a young Kevin Durant would go out to the world championships mm-hmm. and just ball out? I mean, those are so so much fun to watch. Um, they were awesome. And I'm not sure we're going to be getting that this year, unfortunately. And, you know, sorry, Australians. Uh, I think you should be rooting not for American greatness or for the opportunity to see you know, the best players in the world you should be rooting for, you know, an upset for the ages uh, that you can cherish for the rest of your life. Yeah, you go back. I know exactly what you're talking about. It was the world championships in Turkey, I believe. And the crowd at every one of those games looked like it was insane. And it was like Steph, KD, Russ, Andre Iguodala. There was, that was quite a little squad they had there. And, um, there were no Thad Youngs in the mix that year. I, I I think that my one question is, why hasn't Nike forced more guys to go? Because this would seem to be like a phenomenal marketing opportunity. You're in China playing basketball for two weeks. I'm surprised they haven't done that. That's also why I think that Team USA next year will have plenty of talent once we get to the Olympics because the opportunity to market yourself in Japan is going to be super valuable to these guys. Um, can I run my proposal for Team USA reform by you real quick? Yes. Okay. What I want them to do going forward is to give each NBA player one tour of Olympic duty. And a tour of Olympic duty means you have to participate in every USA basketball event over the summer for that four-year cycle leading up to your Olympic appearance. And they build the team with a bunch of young guys from around the NBA who are going to be really excited to be there. I tweeted about this this week, but I just want to... I think the value of the Olympic program, there there's a lot of developmental value to that experience, and um, it would behoove USA Basketball and the NBA, frankly, to like get some of those young guys involved, just to sort of like polish them as superstars and get them that experience earlier in their career. And then beyond that, you can then sprinkle in some veterans who are snubbed early on to help anchor the Olympic teams to make sure that we don't lose. But like, how much fun would it be if we had a team of Miles Turner, Devin Booker, De'Aaron Fox, and Kemba Walker next year? Yeah, so what is their excuse for not wanting to participate? Like, are any of those guys out for next year? I don't know if they've been asked. Like, I, I have to imagine if De'Aaron Fox had been asked, he would be with Team USA and headed to Japan next next month. Yeah, I get where you're going with this. I mean, my favorite moments from USA Basketball were when LeBron's crew all just decided that playing was cool and that they were going to be in basically yeah. no matter what and that everyone else had to just fight like crazy to get those other spots. And like guys like John Wall were taking the USA Basketball snubs like so personally uh, you know, cause it was like, Oh, you're going to take Kyrie over me. Now I'm going to like go out there and spend an entire season trying to prove you that you were wrong and, you know, send out tweets yeah. about his top 100 rating, you know, still being mad about being snubbed and stuff. So to me, <laughs> like I would be less interested in doing the like, Hey, we need like a certain, you know, cycle, uh, you know, of attendance. And then after that you're out and I'd be more interested in just bending over backwards and catering to the very best players and getting them involved no matter what. Because I think 
like the power of LeBron playing, I think inspired a lot of other guys to want to play, right? And so if you have those top end guys involved, and maybe there's nothing you can say to Kawhi Leonard to get him involved, and I think that that's a frustrating aspect of you know of him being like the face of Certainly the league. Certainly not with Popovich at this right. point. But even if it wasn't Pop, like what is your case to Kawhi? Like, hey man, like congratulations on that great finals run. We're no, we know you're all about winning and load management. Come blow your summer with us yeah. like three quarters of the way across the world. Like that's a tough sell. Um, but I just hope that the next generation of American uh, superstars follow LeBron's lead because I think he got a lot out of it. I think you're right about that. I think he got lasting friendships, deeper friendships, incredible marketing yeah. opportunities, visibility, and gold medals. And you know what? Like a gold medal, that's pretty darn cool. And I, I don't understand why, you know, some of these guys are pulling out if they haven't won one previously with USA Basketball or whatever else. That I feel like that should be a motivator. You know, I understand it's not the Olympics. Yeah. I understand it's not as cool. But like, I, I bet if you pulled the guys who won gold medals in a previous world championships or, or previous world cups, those guys would have no regrets about their decisions to play. Yeah. And it's hard because LeBron has now done it like three or four times. And so asking him to continue to participate is a tougher ask. Uh, but hopefully the younger guys will get into it. And when I talk about going like super young, those teams would just be really fun to watch and, uh, and watching them grow together would be kind of more interesting than some of what we've seen the past few cycles where the U.S. teams still have the most talent, but everybody's kind of like going half speed. And it just it, it feels like a lot of Warriors games over the last few years. And it would be more fun to see sort of not underdog U.S., but, no, but like want, the, the playing field would be more level. I mean, you want Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum taking steps in their games. And you want to see that against like the best veteran guys across the world and saying, oh, now we're going to get excited because these guys are about to make a big leap in their careers. Yeah, yeah I, I get where you're coming from that. I mean, we we definitely saw that play out cool. with Westbrook and, and other younger guys. Curry, even, I remember him taking a step forward um, in one of those tournaments as well. There's a lot of benefit to that. I just want as much talent as possible. I'm sorry. I appreciate greatness, Andrew, as always. I, I, I want the USA to <laughs> – And you know I want what? them to go out there and just run everybody off the court by 50 points. I know it might get uh, embarrassing or, or whatever, but I think that the dream team showed that you can inspire an entire world – to play the sport by playing it at a level that they can only dream of at that point in time. Yeah, well, you're right. And um, you mentioned LeBron at the very beginning of his career playing USA basketball. That's where he forged his relationship with Jason Kidd. And look at how that has paid off. Jason Ooh. Kidd is now in Los Angeles and ready to lead a mutiny with next year's Lakers. So you never know where Olympic basketball can lead uh, young players of the Wait world if you're listening out Wait there. Wait a minute, you're saying Frank Vogel didn't coach USA basketball at any point? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, all right, let's keep it moving. I have one more point on the Wizards I want to make. Vince says, hey guys, I really enjoy the show. Now that Andrew has fully embraced the idea of trading Bradley Beal, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this potential trade. The Celtics get Bradley Beal, and then he continues on. I think the Pacers are trading Miles Turner to D.C. It's a three-team trade. I just want to say, I've looked inward after our podcast uh -oh. earlier this week. I am not okay with trading Bradley whoa. Beal to the goddamn whoa, Boston whoa, Celtics. Whoa, 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 okay? whoa, whoa, whoa. I specifically tried to throw that idea out you to, to shatter you, and you held up perfectly, and now 48 hours later, you've done a 180? 
Yes, I have because I've look. I've accepted the idea that the Wizards are gonna have to give away Bradley Beal. They'll probably get fleeced just because that's the way the world works. Even after the Clippers and Lakers throw out 15 picks in exchange for two players, like it is what it is. I've made peace with all of it, and honestly, I'm just ready for the Wizards to transition to a new era. And I think that will be healthier for everyone. I also want good things to happen to Bradley Beal. I am not okay with Bradley Beal being traded for a bullshit Grizzlies pick and Jason Tatum. No, they wouldn't give up Tatum. They would give up Jalen Brown, who the Wizards would then have to pay like $130 million to. It would just be depressing all along. And I I hope that the Wizards at least preserve that shred of dignity to not like solidify the next generation of the team that was their rival three years ago. Very, very interesting. This was the response I hoped for. I think you might have been in a little bit of a, <laughs> a honeymoon period about after the initial excitement about the Wizards' new front office, so I can't help but pivoting that direction. Have you reconsidered yeah. your optimism on their hires now that you've had a couple of days to think about it? If you're well, if you're doing 180s here and just spinning around like Michelle Kwan, I need to know where you stand on their front office. My optimism was superficial at best. Okay, <laughs> I think anyone listening closely Here comes the truth. understands that it was half-hearted and borderline sarcastic. So I will say I have heard from other people familiar with Sashi Brown's tenure in Cleveland who are less impressed with the, with him than some of the people I talked to initially. So. I don't know. I don't even know what that guy's going to be doing. The, the Wizards hired three people to be their GM, and that is not does, doesn't scream uh, coherence, as I said earlier this week. Well, but, one um, of those people you yeah. heard from on Sachi Brown was Tanner, and he wrote in, the Browns going 1-27 under Sachi Brown is, by the numbers, equivalent to the Phoenix Suns having a six-game, uh, six wins over two <laughs> NBA seasons. <laughs> so... Um, do you over under on six wins next year for Washington? What do you think? I'm going to go over Ben because they're going to be showcasing Bradley Beal for the first five months of the season. And then they will auction him off to the highest bidder. By the way, your trust Ted Leotis thing. No, I don't trust Ted Leotis. I don't trust anyone involved with See, the wizards. This for right is now. what I'm <laughs> talking about. I don't understand. I come on here and I teed you up for that question twice. And I, I dug in multiple times it just took 48 hours for the truth to come out. I knew it the whole time. Why are you lying yeah. to us, Andrew? Come well, on. Listen, we recorded that on a Monday morning. I had a lot of writing to oh, do. Boy. I had only had two hours to process the news, and I was just like, I wasn't prepared to really grapple with things. But the bottom line is the Wizards have done absolutely nothing to earn the benefit of the doubt over the last 10 years. It is what it is. Uh, maybe they will stumble into success anyways. That, that sort of happened with John Wall and Bradley Beal. So uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic just because I have no other alternative. I, I am it's, gobsmacked. Um, you know, when I asked you that question on the last episode, I felt like I was Channing Fry asking Kyrie Irving, tell me what you think about the moon landing, expecting him to say, oh, that's a great day in American history, instead of, hey, guess what? The earth is flat and we never walked on the moon. That's what I got from you. I got the complete <laughs> sideways answer of, oh, you know what? I actually am cautiously optimistic. This is going to work out great. I'm sitting there ripping my head out. Okay, I'm going to have to just ask this question again. And finally, <laughs> the truth comes out. It only took three more days for the truth to finally come out. Okay, I see how it is. 
There we go. We should record all our podcasts at midnight. That's the way. That's the ultimate takeaway from all of this. But um, Ben, let's do a couple more questions here. Some podium here. Oh, great idea. Because uh, Marcus... we haven't already talked for ninety minutes. Let's keep it going. <laughs> Marcus says, "Let's assume that the NBA is still around two centuries from now, and you two have been m- magically transported to the future to serve as co-commissioners." Numerous franchises are running out of jersey numbers and have approached you about what to do. How do you respond? Do you cap the number of years a jersey can be retired at, say, 50 or 100? Do you create a one-time delete all of retired numbers across the league to renew the supply of jersey options? Or C, expand into triple digits on jerseys, thereby kicking the can down the road nearly a millennium by opening up 900 new options for players of the future. Now, Ben, you told me you had an idea and wanted this question included. So what do you have here? Okay, I'm going with option D. It was not one of the ones he presented. This is what I think we should do, Andrew. We should just adopt the license plate approach and mix in some letters and some numbers, right? Because that way you expand greatly the number of possible combinations and options and you avoid um, the problem of running out of numbers. So do you think it would actually be cooler for certain guys to be able to have like their initials as their jersey number? And I'm also factoring in this idea that there's going to be better ways to communicate like foul calls <laughs> to the scoreboard as opposed to just like using your, yeah. your fingers at this point because obviously it would be difficult to like do sign language to you know assign fouls and all that. But like, if you were Paul George, would you rather be PG thirteen or would you rather your jersey just say PG? You know what I mean? And like Andre Kirilenko, he was famous for AK forty seven. What if he was just AK? Like, would he have preferred that? Um, or you could try to you know mix and match letters and numbers uh, if you really uh, prefer. What do you think? Um, I don't know. This is stressing me out because I feel like. It could get pretty annoying where we already have enough random bullshit to track as members <laughs> of the basketball media and as fans of the NBA. I don't know if we need to open up a whole new world of self-expression that would be like kind of fun and zany, but then quickly become annoying. That's what I would worry about with your your proposal. Okay, there. but like what if you're Danny Green? Your number could be 3D. Right. And you could just send that message to everyone. You know what? I'm a three and D wing. I'm that guy. This is me. I'm three D. <laughs> and you could just wear it proudly on your chest and your back and you could inspire all the young kids out there who maybe aren't the world's best ball handlers but still want to have an NBA career. What do you think? I mean, there's there's some potential here. It's possible, man. You know, we'll we'll have to cross that bridge in seventy five years. You know what I'm very upset about and sincerely? is Anthony Davis wearing three instead of 23. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how Nike... I, I feel like LeBron has to have the juice with Nike at this point in his career to be able to tell them, no, this is what's going to happen. But apparently he didn't, and apparently Nike like put the kibosh on all of that. Yeah, that just uh, seems like... A, it, it's very upsetting. It seems like a convenient excuse. It seems like LeBron like promised him that, oh, man, I'm so sorry it didn't work out. I guess I'm going to have to be number 23. Right? <laughs> well, under my proposal, Anthony Davis could be the letter Z and then three. So it would look like two, three, and you could have a 23 and a Z3. <laughs> yeah, maybe he could do that anyways, honestly. We don't necessarily have to ratify your proposal for the whole league, but we could just give Anthony 
Anthony Davis a sad bootleg 23 after he waived his trade to his uh, trade kicker. But um, either way, can I have one more one more question here from Consti? He says, "You guys mentioning Fred Van Vliet's brand in the last podcast." Reminded me that I have not seen Andrew in an overpriced sweater of said brand as he had promised before the finals in case the Raptors win it all. Did I miss that? It may I may have missed it on Andrew's Instagram. You did not no. miss it, Consti. Consti, you did not miss it, okay? We're still waiting for Andrew to show off his amazing basketball jersey collection that he's been telling us about for years. Never seen one of them on Instagram. We're still waiting for him to buy the Air Giannis sneakers. Haven't seen that. Still waiting for the Fred Van Vliet sweater. We haven't seen that. Andrew, please explain yourself. Are you ever going to do any of these things you tell us about? I got to I got to find a good place to debut my Fred Van Vliet track jacket. Whoa. It is sitting Whoa. in my living room downstairs. Plot twist. As we speak. I did not expect yeah. this. Okay. No, it has like bet on yourself down the sleeve. It's pretty awesome. Uh my friend correctly said I am a coward if I don't spend an additional $85 on the matching track pants. Oh my gosh. So those may be in the offing as well. I could have a full Fred Van Vliet bet on yourself track suit ready. I just need to find the right time and place. Like maybe our next no, podcast in person. I can tell you the right time or... and place. Every time we tape a podcast, this is going to be the new truth serum. <laughs> okay, you're going to put on your Fred Van Vliet sweater and you're not going to come with any of this generic praise or any of this fake love for the Washington Wizards. You're going to get right to the core of the issue and say, I don't trust Ted. I'm betting on myself thanks to my Fred Van Vliet sweater. And it's going to be brilliant. That's good. It'll be an hour long of Andrew Sharp reports every single episode. And the, and the sweatshirt <laughs> is going to pull the truth out of you. I can't wait for this. Next episode, you better be wearing that thing. Every single time. All right. Well, on that note, Ben, next week we go to one episode per week through the rest of the off season, which is probably a welcome change considering how much we've been rambling. Uh, but either way... We'll keep it going, and um, until then, uh, I will talk to you, okay? Sounds great, Andrew. Everybody, email us in, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And I got like 100 emails recommending books to Andrew, so I want to get a similar number of emails recommending this new bet-on-yourself lifestyle, okay? Everybody, coach Andrew up (laughs) so we can get the truth. Uh, Thanks to the FVV shop, his favorite website. We're on Apple Podcasts. Search for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. Andrew, we're over 1,800 reviews last time I checked. I would love to get to 2,000. Everyone out there, please help us out. It would be very, very much appreciated. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. Check me out there. Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Whoa.